Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's look through the camera lens and don our director's cap for just a second. Open on a world where aliens and humans coexist. You've got your different species designs, their accompanying costumes, and what we'll just assume is an endless special effects budget. And after all that effort in bringing this world to life on screen, nothing, let me say it again, nothing will immediately take the viewer out of that experience like every single character only speaking English. Look, expanded worlds, just like our own, need languages. But it's not so simple. You can't just make up sounds and hope it all works out for the best. What you need is someone who specializes in creating languages. A conlanger. Someone like David. My name is David Peterson, and I am a conlanger. David's created some of the most iconic languages ever heard in television and film. Let's just run through the list. Netflix's Bright. AMC's Into the Bad Life. Marvel's Thor. The CW's the World, the one sci-fi's defined, Showtime's Penny MTV's Dreadful, Marvel's Doctor Dennis Strange, Villeneuve's Doom. Oh yeah, and he created Dothraki and High Valerian for a little show called Game of Thrones. We talked about what it takes to create a language, how David landed the coveted and cutthroat Game of Thrones conline gig, and the secret to learning to speak Dothraki. I'm Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird Work. Before this interview, quick question. Did you happen to, like, look me up or look up a picture of what I look like? No, but I have a picture in my mind. Okay, so I'm sure we're aligned on this. I'm just like Jason Momoa, twice as handsome, tall dude, <laughs> very broad. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell. You can tell from my voice. I know. I know. Let's just play a little game here. Let's yeah. pretend that I'm Jason Momoa and you're teaching me Dothraki. Okay. Okay. You, you got a bottle of Guinness? <laughs> Is that the trick? <laughs> Okay, so let's say like I'm walking down the street, somebody crosses my path, and I want to yell at him like, I'm walking here. <laughs> I mean, Dothraki would never say that they would because walking is a big insult. So yeah. Fine, like I'm riding my stallion through here, no, maybe? Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. So, so here's the thing. Everybody can do this. It's just a matter of actually committing to it, you know? So it's like you can pronounce any language well or badly. It's just it's it's not very difficult. It's just a matter of how how much you're willing to commit to it. So it's like what I usually do is you know I record an MP3 and then they listen to it. So for something like this, you know, I'd record it the way you're supposed to say it, which would be <laughs> then slowly, but you know without the inflection, so you can hear it. So like anha dothrak. 
Jinne, right? Then I say the English, you know, hey, I'm writing here, you know. So then you hear that, and then you just got to repeat. So let's just work with the first one. So anha, anha. How can you say that and make me believe it? Anha. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Now we're going to follow that up with the verb to write. So, you know, the thrak. Anha, the thrak. Pretty good, pretty good. And then jinne, <laughs> jinne. Yeah, that's the one that's going to close it. That means here. Jinne. Oh, with an N. Sorry. Jinne. Yeah, and then you hold that in. Jinne. Jinne. And then the whole thing. Jinne. Jinne. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Perfect. Pretty Perfect. Good. <laughs> it's pretty good. It needs it needs more diaphragm. It needs more diaphragm in there, you know. <laughs> Pretend like, you know, you're you're working your entire chest like a bellows to like, you know, fight this thing out here. Like you know, you're like you're a mighty metal warrior. About to, you know, slam your electric guitar down on the the faces of the unrighteous, you know? <laughs> okay, so there's like a lot of mental, like, this is, I really got to get into character for each language. Now I'm all like fucking amped up on this. Okay, so let's just start at really, really basic. What is a conlanger? A conlanger is somebody who creates conlangs. A conlang is a constructed language, so an intentionally constructed language. Uh, the languages that we speak on Earth kind of evolve unconsciously with huge groups of speakers. Uh, a conlang is something that somebody or some group of people sit down and intentionally create. Uh, and so it's a little bit different. It doesn't evolve naturally. And, and so yeah, a conlanger is just somebody who does that. Uh, whether for any purpose, whether it's for pay or not, whether it's for fun or to promote international communication, whether it's for a story project or whether it's just to test out the limits of language. Anybody who does it is a conlanger. What languages have you created? What's, what's like the hits? Give me like the big, the big name ones. Well, it depends if you're talking about before I started working in Hollywood or after. If it's before, you know, my biggest language was probably Kamakawi. That's the one everybody knew me for. They might have known Jiller and they might have known Sedan from my presentation at LCC too. After I started working in Hollywood, certainly the biggest languages I created are Dothraki and High Valyrian for Game of Thrones. Uh, Twiggita slang on the CW is the 100. And after that, I don't know, probably the languages in Bright, the uh, Elvish and Orcish languages I created in that one. When you were creating your first language, just getting into conlanging, for you, did it start as like kind of a fun side project, like doing Sudoku puzzles or something like that? Or did you see it and you were like, holy shit, this is amazing? When I created my first language, it was just basically I thought of the idea of creating my own language for fun rather than for international communication. So like many people from my era independently invented the idea of creating a language for fun. And so really, I didn't give it any more thought than that. The moment that I thought it up, I was like, well, I have to do this. And so I did. And I kept on doing it because it was a lot of fun. I didn't really give any thought to what grand purpose the language was going to have or where I was going to go after that. I just, I just did it. Um, and I, I really, really had a lot of fun doing it. What was your first conlang job? The first one you got paid for? I mean, technically, 
technically the first job that I got paid for was when I went and advertised my services via what we would now call a spam email in uh, like the summer of 2001, I think it was, via AOL. Um, <laughs> you could look up, you know, people's profiles on AOL. And so I looked, uh, looked them up for keywords for like, you know, fantasy and sci-fi and things like that. And I came up with a list of like 40 people and I sent them an email saying that, hey, I can create a language for you if you want. And this one dude replied, he was a high schooler from Oklahoma who was making a D&D campaign and he wanted a language. And so I created him something and, uh, and he paid me $40. So that was <laughs> the right. first time I've ever been paid to create a language. <laughs> so big start, you went with AOL spam, found some D&D player and cashed in 40 bucks on a language. Yeah. What was it like when let's say somebody who was paying more than $40 reached out to you about creating a language. So for Game of Thrones, that was my very first you know, real paid job. Um, there was a competition. And so it wasn't like they hmm. found me. They found the Language Creation Society and uh, set up a contract with them. And the Language Creation Society put on a competition, and they were going to subcontract to the winner. And so... Um, they hosted the competition. I applied with many other language creators. It's kind of a brutal month and a half long process. And then at the end of it, I won the competition. And so I became the official language creator on Game of Thrones. So it's kind of like you won the Game of Thrones of language creation. Yeah, I guess, you know, given the content of the show, the competition was appropriately brutal. <laughs> Like, okay, and is is the competition, is it brutal? Is, like, people in the conlanging community, like, hiding notes, not showing things, not talking about pronunciation, or is during the contest everybody relatively friendly? Well, every actually, everybody was friendly and very open, which they shouldn't have been. I think that was a mistake. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the thing was, it was, because uh, it was just an open competition. You could do whatever you wanted, however much you wanted, Uh which meant that I spent every single waking moment working on my stuff. And so, yeah, over the course of a month and a half and two rounds of competition, I had produced over 300 pages of material for the producers to consider. Holy um, shit. Okay. And does that include letters? Like, are you making up letters and, and you know, like grammatical symbols and things like that? Um, in this case, no, because uh, it's mentioned in the books that the Dothraki don't have a written form of their language. So in this case, it was just a way to spell it so that the actors could read it and pronounce it consistently. But let's say it's Valerian. Mm -hmm. it, does that one have a written form? It does have a written form, but I was never uh, hired to create it. They just, they just used English characters, which I thought was really disappointing. Um, I, I would have been really down to create that, but you know, it's all right. Like the second show that I worked on defiance, I got to create four writing systems and I've done it quite a bit since then. I've created one for star crossed on the CW. I created two for, um, bright on Netflix. And then I've created one for the Witcher. I created, uh, one for Dune coming up. Um, and two. Oh, no way. Oh, what yeah, language yeah. at Dune? Oh, I can't say I'm anything about that. I'm a huge dude Look, they'll, they'll, oh, they'll string me up by God, my heels. Dude. Are you working on Fremen shit? I guess you can't say. You can't say. But, oh, my God, that's fucking awesome. Wow. Um, 
I'm gonna have to take like a second to get myself get myself <laughs> together. <laughs> Woo, that's really exciting. That's really exciting for me. What are the steps to creating a language? The first thing that you have to do when you're creating a language is figure out what it's for. So for example, it makes a difference if you're creating something that's like, for example, exists in our world, like like in the world of the hundred, where you're obviously working with material that exists in our world, versus if you're in a fantasy world. It also makes a difference if you're creating something for human beings or you're creating something for aliens that are fundamentally different from uh, human beings. Um, or if you're creating you know, something slightly different. So instead of a language like you're creating something that's supposed to be a secret, like a secret form of communication between groups. So, uh, you know, based on, or if you're creating it for magical beings, let's say, so based on what you're doing, it's going to be different, or it's going to make a difference what uh, type of language you're creating. Once you know, most of the time I'm creating languages for human beings, and most of the time they're fantastical, or or rather they're not from our world, Um, you know, then I have a process that I go through. I create uh, a sound system, um, and I go, uh, once the sound system is good, I move on to uh, morphology, which again is just the way that nouns and verbs change to inflect categories like, uh, you know, number or gender, tense, uh, aspect, mode, and all that stuff. Um, And once that's feeling pretty good, you know, I move on to other parts of speech if they exist, like adverbs and adjectives and adpositions. Uh, And then after that, move on to sentence structure both basic sentence structure and also things like, you know, fronting and topicalization, um, subordination, relativization, and then the different types of questions. Once all that's set, you can move on to ancillary stuff like derivation, if, you know, making one word out of another, um, or changing categories between words, and um, number systems, things like that. And then the rest of the time is just spent creating tons and tons and tons of words. Um, and then that's, that really takes you the rest of your life because you'll never create as many words as the language ought to have. We'll be right back with more from David after this quick break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So do you ever look back at growing up and see something you did as a child and think like, oh my God, I was destined to be a conlanger? 
You know, probably the only thing that I showed any interest in that was related to language as a as a very young child was Middle Egyptian hieroglyphics. Or, I'm sorry, hieroglyphs, which I learned about in uh, sixth grade. Yeah, you know, kind of the time when everybody else does. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that there are these just wild pictures that you could write stuff with. But oddly enough, after that, I didn't really pursue it much. You know, all the rest of my time at that time was spent uh, drawing. That's all I would do, hmm. just uh, draw. I was very into and committed to visual art. And I, I really believed that what I was going to be when I grew up was uh, a Disney animator. That's always what I wanted to do. What did you study in college? Uh, in college, I, was, uh, I came in as an English major and then added linguistics as a fun major. And then I ended up double majoring in English and linguistics. And then after that, I went on to graduate school to, uh, to get a master's in linguistics. It was a very uh, similar path to my wife, who double majored in anthropology and linguistics, and then we both went to the same graduate school to study linguistics, and we both got our master's. So I might be kind of like, we've been kind of avoiding the elephant in the room here, but I have to ask about Tolkien. Lord oh. of the Rings, Hobbits, mm. he's kind of seen as like a godfather of conlangers. Um, how does Tolkien fit into the world of conlanging? Uh, yeah. Tolkien is definitely the uh, kind of the godfather of modern conlanging. Everybody comes to language creation usually from one of four avenues. It's either uh, Klingon, Tolkien, Esperanto, or like computer programming. Hmm. And um, and I was the one that came through Esperanto. I certainly knew about Tolkien growing up because there was that cartoon movie, um, and they came out with new editions of his books in. I want to say the early 90s. And a friend of mine was big into him, big into Tolkien. But I had no idea that he created languages at all. I mean, I, I still had no idea at that time that people could create languages. He is, I think, where the bulk of language creators have come to it from. They, they've come to it from Tolkien. And so, like, you know, I met tons of people who were really inspired by his work. In terms of... of now, he is, uh, as far as we know, the first language creator that created languages for fun, at least that we have hmm. records of. I'm sure there were many others, but he's the first one that we have records of. And that's something that's pretty remarkable because created languages that we know of, have has, this has gone back to the 12th century. But anytime somebody's done it, it's been for some specific reason, either because they believed that the angels were talking to them or they wanted a more perfect form of communication for science, or they wanted a language for international communication, for peace. Uh, all languages that had been created that we know of from like the 12th century to the 19th century were created for one of those purposes. Tolkien was the first one who just said, I love language, and so I want to create some just for fun, and so he did. And it was later that he wrote books where his languages could be used. And so that's something that was really, really inspirational to a lot of uh, language creators. Who's a conlanger that you admire and why? Sylvia Sotomayor is probably the best living language creator, though I'm sure she would not say so. Um, she is extraordinary. She keeps doing stuff that just kind of blows my mind. 
stuff that it's the type of thing where it's like I never even would have thought to have thought of that. What's an example? Um, well, I don't know what the state of her latest language is because she keeps changing it. Oh, God, that was a fun one she just did. She just did this one as a joke. Um, but she was like, she came up with this kind of language idea where it's like everything works visually in a column and you can only ever have one thing on either side of the column and then multiple things on the other side that commented on it. And the one thing could either be on the left or the right side and the comment would have to be on the opposite side. And she had a very particular way that it could work and, and demonstrated with a text. And it was like, it was so cool I didn't even get it. Um, I'm still kind of trying to work through it and process it. But it's like, it's the type of thing, anytime you sit down with a, a new language like this, it usually takes me about five to 10 seconds to figure out, all right, is this something or is this nothing? And that's really something. Uh, but I still don't, I still don't get it. I still can't wrap my head around it, but I will. Anyway, she's constantly just doing stuff like this, coming up with really, really cool and interesting stuff. Uh, while at the same time approaching it in a very natural way, which is not something that comes easily for people who do these types of engineered language experiments. Anything that she does is brilliant, and I just kind of look forward to it and cheer her on. So I want to give, I want to give a little scenario here. Mm -hmm. The Matrix 4 is coming out, oh, yeah. and they've, de they've decided, I'm making this up, they've decided that the robots need to have their own language. Could you do that? I could, but I don't think I would necessarily be the best person for it, and here's the reason. Um, if you're going to be faithful about this, uh, because this came up before. If you, I don't know if you remember, there was Facebook created like two robots to talk to each other, and they started yes. doing all these weird things. Robots are never, ever, ever going to think the way that human beings do. And so if you wanted to create something that worked for that, it would need to be something that was so fundamentally different. A human being wouldn't recognize it as a language. And like, you can kind of see examples of this. You know, like with uh, Coco the gorilla, it was supposed to be amazing. She had all these signs. But then like, when it came to sentences, like she didn't produce stuff that we would recognize as language. Like she wanted banana, she would just sign like, rapid fire like you know uh banana banana you me want me banana banana want me you banana want and it's like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah a robot would be something like that but even weirder all it's doing is just pattern matching but it's not the type of pattern matching that humans do so that's the level I would want to take it to, and I don't think that I'm qualified. Uh, I don't know enough about machine learning to do that. And I'm sure the level that they would want it at would be at, like, you know, three standard, you know, medians of whatever below that. <laughs> they would just say, just make them say stuff like bleep loop. I don't know. So if they wanted it to be as authentic as possible, then what I would do is I would go find somebody else that I think could really do that. Like, how do you know when you're done, right? Like, like you said, you're, you're never going to have all of the words of the language, but how do you get to a point with your work where you're like, yep, it's good, it's good to go, it's good to put out into the world? Well, the best thing about it, the best and worst thing about it is that it's never done. So never, ever, ever done. No language anybody creates will ever be done. Um, there's always more to be done with it. Um, so that's pretty cool. But uh, in terms of when is it ready for a translation, 
that's when, you know, I don't have to, I, I don't come to a sentence that I need to translate and say, like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this. So, you know, all of the grammar has to be pretty much set because you can finish that more or less. You need to know what all what all the inflectional categories you have and you need to know how they are actually going to work. Um, and then you need to know when the grammar breaks down and does something with, you know, a prolix expression. So in other words, a multi-word expression versus just whatever the inflectional morphology can handle. Um, once Once you're to that point, then you can do translation. In other words, if you can look at a bunch of sentences and say, yeah, I can translate that provided I have the words for it, then you're done. Because creating words is simply a function of time. Well, thank you so much, David, for being on the podcast. This has been so much fun to talk about. All right on. Well, thank you for having me. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Music comes from Tyler Litwin and editing from Isis Madrid. If you're a fan of weird work, do me a favor. And you know what? You can do it anytime over the next week. You in? All right. Tell one person about the show. If they're into it, great. Show them how to listen. If they're not into it, well, sorry to say, but you're going to have to let go of that friendship. It was only inevitable, and it's for the best. Really. These are divisive times. As always, I'm Zane Balter. And- My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I'm not sure.